Welcome to New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. How do we move from that distracted to attracted to believer? We encounter someone who knows Jesus, and it changes everything. Today, Pastor Randy continues his series from the book of Luke, Changed by Jesus. Today's message comes from Luke chapter 7, The Matter of Story. Here's Pastor Randy. Open your Bibles up, if you would, to the Gospel according to the physician, the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. We're going we're gonna to look at a story today. I love, I love this story. I love this story because, you know, the, these stories in Scripture are not isolated incidents. There's a connection, especially in Luke, there's a connection. And I want you to think about your story. I want you to think even about how you got to this physical place, this church. There's, there's people that were engaged in that process in your life that got you here. You met somebody, you, you drove by, you, you've seen this place, you've been around, but most of the time, it has nothing to do with the physical presence of this building. And I will say, I love, I love this building. I love that, that the people of Oak Hill wanted there to be a cross in stained glass. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful cross, and, and it's beautiful from both directions. And sometimes I just, I go in that room back there and I just look at it. Sometimes as I'm studying it, I just need a little mental break. I just go and just spend time in that room and we'll just pray in that room and it'll be in there. And I love, I love the, the layout of the building. I love so much about the building, but the building isn't the church. You know that. At six o'clock this morning, this was not the church. At six o'clock this morning, this was 1766 New Hope Road. But at 623, this became the church because that's when the doors opened and the first person walked in. It was Daniel. I know that because we live next door and he's got a loud truck. <laughs> and I heard him pull up and, and the alarm went off in the building, not in terms of calling the police, but it was turned off and, and he came into the building. It became the church. You brought the church into this building today. This wasn't the church until you came into it. And, and today we're going to look at this passage of Scripture about how a Pharisee's home becomes the church. But I want you to look at what this story has been up until this point. It, there's been this changing by Jesus. There's, there's a, and we're going to stand in a little bit and read Scripture, so go ahead and find 736 because we're going to get there in just a little bit. But Jesus operates from the place of being the beloved. I was doing premarital with a couple this week, and I said, here's the deal. 10% of your fights will be about sex. 10% of your fights will be about money. 80% of your fights will be about stuff you have no idea what they're about. Amen? Yeah. You have no idea, all right? Husbands and wives getting bumped all across the room here. You, you know, but I, I'll tell you what it's about. Somebody at work said something mean to you and you couldn't answer them. And you came home and your husband or wife said the littlest thing. And you just unloaded on them. Amen? Truly, yeah, I know we're not proud of it. <laughs> we're acknowledging it. Or somebody cuts you off on the interstate. And you're frustrated. And you come home and your husband or wife does this little thing. 
Nothing to do with that. And all of a sudden, you find yourself angry. And 30 minutes later, you are fighting and you have no idea what you're fighting about. Anybody ever been there before? You have no idea what you're fighting about. <laughs> We're, I'm gonna get you guys signed up for marriage conference right here. All right. You have no idea what it's about. That, but Jesus doesn't operate from that place of being wounded. I, I had MRSA, I had a MRSA infection years ago, and they gave me like three shots of Novocaine or whatever it is they give you before they start working on it. And then when they opened that up, I, I said, you're gonna have to strap me down to this table. It hurts so bad. Even a healthy touch is incredibly painful when you're infected. That's what, that's what we fight about in our, in our, in our marriages. It, it, so much of the time, it has nothing to do with the thing that our husband or wife did to us. Jesus doesn't operate from a place of woundedness. Jesus operated from a place of being the beloved. Jesus, when he's challenged by the enemy, what does he answer him with? Does he answer him with, with, with the fact that, that he's more powerful than the devil? No, what does he answer with every time? Come on, you know, what is, what is he answer? Yeah, his word. He answers with the word. Jesus calls people, the disciples, and he calls these fishermen, and he uses the things in their lives that they actually understand, but, but by the way, they weren't really good fishermen, so it's a good thing they were good apostles, because it seems like every time they go fishing, they're not doing a very good job of it. And he calls them from that, but he doesn't make them fishermen for fish anymore. He makes them fishers of what? Of men. He's changing. This is this series we're talking about, Changed by Jesus. If you're gonna be changed by Jesus, you gotta start doing the things that Jesus calls us to do. And one of those primary things was Jesus got away and he spent time with the Father. He, you, you, don't, you don't rest from your work. You have to work from your rest. If you're resting from your work, you're gonna be in a state of exhaustion. You work from your rest. It's a different pattern. It's an upside-down kingdom that, that he's calling us into. And in this, after, that, after those stories, look at chapter seven. If you've got paragraph headings, he heals a centurion's servant, a Roman centurion. He goes into the opposite culture. He's working with the Gentile culture, and he heals someone that hated Romans. You, you could put this into any word picture you want. But Jesus steps into the opposite culture and touches and brings healing into this opposite culture. Most vile person you could imagine, this Roman centurion. Then he raises a widow's son. And I love chapter seven. Look at verse 16. Fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has ridden among us and God has visited his people. What? What was those words we look at at Christmas? Emmanuel, what's it mean? God with us. God has visited his people. And look at this. And this report about him, you might wanna underline this in your Bible, spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. John the Baptist sends messengers and says, hey, listen, is this the deal? Because I'm in jail. This is not working out for me. And Jesus says, listen, here's the thing. The, the blind see. Evil spirits are cast out. 
the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. And then Jesus is invited into the home of a Pharisee. Would you stand with me? We're gonna read verse 36. And a couple more. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And then skip down to verse 44. Turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you actually see her, Simon? Not the caricature of what she is, not all the things that she's done, but do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And may God bless the reading of his word. There's something about story. This sermon today, I titled it The Matter of Story. Matter and glory are words that are somewhat synonymous. Glory of God is the matter of God, the substance of God put into a place where you can see it. When the glory of God comes, it is, even though there's somewhat a mystical aspect to it, you can see that. You, you know when you're in that presence, that's what these people are saying. God has visited us. We know that, that God is here in our midst. There's something going on here. Every once in a while, you're out of a chronos time and you're in a kairos, a God moment, and you know there's something going on here that, that is special. You, you've been in those places before, amen, church? Yeah, and you, and you know there's something happening here that I, that I haven't experienced before, and, and, and this is no longer theory. It's no longer just law. This, the presence of God is in this place. And whether it's a church or it's your place of work or it's a sports field, you, you know there's something going on that's, that's otherworldly. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's a, different, it's a different thing that's happening, and that's what's going on right here, but not everybody sees it. One of the Pharisees had asked him to eat with him, and he goes in and he reclines at the table. Now, the way you would do this is the table's kind of low, as it still is in many Asian cultures, the table's low, and you lean on your left arm, and you eat with your right arm. And if you're left-handed, I'm sorry, it just doesn't work. Any lefties in the room? Okay, I'm sorry. It's, it just, you would have just struggled. All right. And your feet lay out this way behind, which is a good thing, because they walk down the road, and, and the animals go down the road. There's no public works department. 
and the dirt and the dung and all of the things that are on the road are on your feet. So your feet are over here away from the food, which is over here. And they, they're, they're reclining at the table. And it says, behold, pay attention. Behold, I want you to get this. He makes this really clear. Luke is wanting you to understand exactly what's going on here. Behold, in case you miss it, behold, a woman of the city. Wink, wink. Get it? If you didn't get it, who was a sinner? Wink, wink with both eyes, okay? Do you get this? Pay attention, a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. She had to wait for the right moment, didn't she? She had to wait until they were reclining. If she had gone in while they were all standing, surely someone would have seen her there and they would have ushered her out. You can't be here. They probably wouldn't have even been that kind because she was a woman of the city who was a sinner. Pay attention. She's not welcome here in a Pharisee's house. What will people say? But after she waits, she's heard these stories because as we read in 16 and 17, these stories are going out all over the whole of Judea. She's hearing about this. And here she is, this woman who has made her living with her body. One of the lies that I hear perpetuated every once in a while is people choose this life. I've known people, men and women, candidly, that have been a part of this. It wasn't a choice. Oh, there's an aspect of choice, but it, it was because there was no other choice, at least in their eyes. And here she is, she comes in, and she has this alabaster flask of ointment. This is not the story of Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who comes and anoints over Jesus' head, and Judas gets really upset. I think about when Jesus sent them out in, in twos. It would have really stunk to have been Judas's ministry partner, wouldn't it? Some, I, I think he probably sent Peter with him just for fun. But she comes and she breaks this flask of ointment. It would have probably cost her a year's wages. A year's wages of what she had done to get a year's wages. How dark was that? A year of that. And there's kids in the room, so that's as far as I'm going to go. But think about it just for a minute. A year of that. And she comes and she brings this alabaster. And she's standing behind him, and she's in this place of repentance. She doesn't really know what to do, but she's weeping. Because she knows this is not the life that, this is not the life my parents wanted for me. This is not who I want to be. This is not who I want to be. And no one's been able to get me out of this because this is who I am. This is my identity. How am I ever going to move from here? How am I going to get past this? Who's going to care for me? Who would love me? Who would accept me? Who would, who would be interested in helping me change? Because this is who I am. 
And she just stands there weeping. And her tears go onto Jesus' dirty, dung-covered feet. She takes her hair, she wipes the dirt and the dung off of his feet. She takes this flask of ointment, a year of work. She puts it on his feet. And then she kisses those feet. What does repentance look like? I think it looks a lot like this. When you understand how deep our sin is and you understand how big his mercy is. Amen, church. I think about John Newton. He was a slave trader. And one night in a storm, he felt the wrath of God on him. He said, I know this is not who I'm supposed to be. He became a pastor. He wrote a song called Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. In his old age, he went blind, and he was apparently talking to Wesley one day, John Wesley, and he said, I'm blind, but you know that line in my song was blind, but now I see? I'm blind now, but I still see more than I ever did with my eyes. And this woman has no other place to go. She's heard the stories. She knows there has to be some measure of hope but could there actually be hope? Hope's a powerful thing. This is the, the matter of worship. When someone comes in and, and you see the matter, the, the glory, the, the substance of their worship, you see the substance of their life, that you hear the power of their story, it, it changes things. When we first moved here, there was a young girl. She's, she was 15 at the time, freshman in high school, just this Wonderful girl, beautiful, sweet girl, and, and she was one of our lugheads. She led middle schoolers, sixth grade girls. And, and this girl was at everything. We, we, did these, we used to do these things called doulos at 5.30 in the morning, and, and we'd have 70, 80 kids come to this thing in the morning, and, and Kelly was always at these Bible studies, and, I, and she was just the most active kid, and again, just wonderful, wonderful girl. Just about a year later or so, I guess she was probably 16 when this happened, her dad called me and said, we're at the hospital. I said, what's going on? He said, well, see, she was born preemie and, and we've always known there was gonna be some challenges here. Now we know her liver's failing. It's really bad, Randy, will you come? Will you pray? And I went to the hospital and we prayed and, and, and things got really, really dark, but she got a new liver. She's 37 now. She, she called me last March. She said, Randy, I'm getting married. I said, Kelly, that is great. She said, I want you to do my wedding. I said, oh, Kelly, I'm so humbled by that. And we started planning her wedding. And in October, her dad called me again. Kelly's numbers are bad. Her liver's failing her again. She went into the hospital 
The numbers were so bad, if it had gotten any worse, she wouldn't have even been eligible for a transplant. Getting a second transplant is harder, at both surgically and, and in terms of getting the match and all kinds of things. And right at the end, it seemed there was no hope left. She called me. She said, Randy, we haven't talked about planning my wedding. I said, well, we gotta start talking about planning your wedding. And I would call her like every other day and we would just plan her wedding in the midst of that darkness. And last night, the doors opened and her dad led her down the aisle and presented her to this wonderful guy. Yeah, you can applaud for that. It's a great story. And everybody came up to me and said, Pastor, this was, you did the most amazing wedding sermon I've ever heard. I said, we got in the car with Anita. I mean, like dozens of people are saying this. And I said to Anita, I said, I do the same wedding every time. <laughs> like nobody comes to hear the preacher at a wedding. I mean, just no weddings and funerals. Nobody comes to hear the preacher. Nobody, that's not why they're there. I do the same wedding every single time. It was Kelly's story. It was all Kelly's story. God uses your story. Even the parts of it that are the worst things. We were at a, we were at a basketball banquet when we were in Indiana. The, the church we were at didn't have a gym, and, and we, were, we were at a church that had a gym. One day, God's gonna love me enough to give us a gym. I'm just teasing. But if you wanna build one, we'll take it. We gotta, all right, we even got half of a concrete pad out there. We built for COVID. We didn't really need, so we'll, we'll build one. But we were, at the, we were at the banquet and the pastor got up and he was talking about his church and how great his church was and how everyone should come to his church and stuff. And I leaned over to Anita and I said, you know what, nobody's listening to him. They're all just here to get trophies. You know what he ought to do? He ought to get somebody to get up there and say, hey, listen, I wasn't walking with Jesus and now I'm walking with Jesus and everything about my life's different. There's just something powerful about story. Your story, her story. Here's the interesting thing. That if you've been in church for a while, you know this woman's story that came and anointed Jesus' feet. There were lots of women of the city who were sinners there in that town, but this one's life is different, and, and the life is different because of her story. The world needs your stories, church. The world needs your stories. How do we move from distracted to attracted? If you've read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, it's the story of Screwtape. He's a senior demon. Any guys read Screwtape Letters? Yeah. Senior demon training Wormwood. He's a junior demon. And this is what he says. Just keep them distracted. Don't, don't, you don't need big sins. Just keep them distracted. Go to lunch today and watch families at the table, distracted. Watch, watch young people sitting next to each other with their phones, texting each other. It's the craziest thing. Families going out to dinner at nice restaurants, spending lots of money, sitting there, distracted. We are so distracted. I'm just as guilty as anybody else. I got two extra seconds and I pick my phone up. What am I looking for? I have no idea. We are so distracted, but 
But we can become so distracted in the world that we lose sight of the things that are really important. How do we move from that distracted to attracted to believer? We encounter someone who knows Jesus. And it changes everything. So Jesus says this story. Verse nine, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him for she's a sinner. Listen, I think everybody in the room knew who she was. I don't think there's any mystery to that. You didn't have to be a prophet to figure that one out. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. Verse 41, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denaria. That's a, a denaria was a day's wages. So whatever you make, and it's tax season, sorry to bring that up, but it's tax season, so you kind of know what you make in a day. Just multiply that by 500. So a little over a year's worth of work here. Pretty, pretty good amount of money. And the other 50, a little over a month's worth. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them would love him more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. And then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she is not Cease to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, by the way, we're not ignoring sin here. We're not ignoring sin. We're just, we're just, we're just totally all in on grace. Amen? Are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were with them at the table began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. How does it change? Well, you have to encounter the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, not a caricature of Jesus. If I were a braver, Pastor, I would show you the clip from Talladega Nights and, and all of Ricky Bobby's impressions of Jesus, which many of you have seen. And if you haven't, don't Google it and blame it on me. There's enough caricatures in there that are deeply offensive caricatures of Jesus. But we kind of do the same thing. And maybe we don't pray to little baby Jesus, but we pray to the Jesus that we think we can form into our image of who he should be. And he says, no, that's not who I am. I will be who I am. When they said, who sent me? Who sent you? He said, just say, I am. He's everything. He's the answer to all of it. And Jesus is the answer to Simon's needs and he's the answer to this woman's needs. Real repentance, what's it look like? I think it looks a lot like this. And I would just ask you this question. When you encounter sin in other people, does it remind you of your sin? Does it remind you of his grace? Or do you just see their sin? I'm preaching to myself, by the way, here. 
Then the, the oddest thing happens. Out of this woman's extraordinary, extraordinary thing that she does. Extraordinary is just extraordinary. It, it's, it, extraordinary is not me dunking a basketball. Extraordinary is is such a smaller thing. It's an extraordinary. It's the ordinary with something extra added to it because she's done this extraordinary thing. Watch this in chapter eight, verse one. Something happens here. Remember, rabbis didn't teach women, but look at this. Soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out. Seven demons indicated a a totality. This was a woman who was totally possessed. Now, in our culture, we we think, because we've seen movies, we think demonic possession looks like weird voices and head spinning and green stuff coming out of your ears. That's not what it looks like. I've seen some of that kind of stuff. I've experienced some of that kind of stuff. I was talking with a friend the other day and we we had encountered that years ago in somebody's life. Sometimes in other places around the world, you experience the enemy working in that kind of fear-mongering way. But let me just ask you, what, what would... What would, the, what would the movies of a demonically possessed culture look like? Would they, be, would they look like movies where there's Christian characters who are like you? Or would you never see a movie with someone like any of you in it? Because the last time I checked, I haven't seen a film that had any, anybody like any of you in it. If there's a Christian, they're weird. And I'll be, okay, now look, I know there's some weird Christians out there. I just don't hang out with any of them, amen? I mean, I'm just, I'm just gonna have to say, I'm, I, don't, I don't really hang out with any of them. And I know there's some out there, and, and they, because on talk shows, they can find them. I don't know where they get these people, but, but they find them, and they're really weird people. And, and that's okay, their brothers and sisters will be in heaven with them, but for now, anyway, I'll just, all right. What, what, what would it look like? What, what would the arts look like? What would our families look like if we had a demonically possessed culture? Would we be violent? Would, would, would upwards of two, three percent of our population be incarcerated? Would we hate each other over our politics? Listen, demonically possessed is just the opposite of spirit possessed, Holy Spirit possessed. It's not this weird, scary thing. There's two kinds of food in the world, angel's food or devil's food. You're eating one of the two. These these women, though, had been healed from that. And then these other women are healed from physical things. And then there's other women here. This, this, this woman 
Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna. This woman, Joanna, this, this woman who's very wealthy, very politically connected, the, the wife of Herod's manager, and Susanna. And I love that Susanna for two reasons. Number one, it's Anita's middle name is Susan. It's where this comes from. And the second thing is this. How cool would it be that the only thing we know about somebody is they ministered to Jesus? How cool would that be? Should the Lord tarry 100 years from now, the only thing they know about us is we ministered to Jesus. What a cool thing. What a great story. See, he uses our story. He uses your story. The world sees through their own pain into the stories of God moving in your life. That's the gravity of story. It, it changes the way that people see things. How does someone move from distracted to attracted? They encounter someone who knows Jesus. I've seen this with Buddhists. I've seen it with Muslims. I've seen it with Hindus. I've seen it with people that live in Loganville. You encounter someone who knows the real Jesus, not a caricature of Jesus, not the Jesus that we form into our own idol, but the real Jesus. You meet that person, you see that person moving in faith. In the midst of their pain and their hurts and their struggles, and I look around this room and I see so many of you that, that God has, has moved in, has worked in, has redeemed the, the wounds and the hurts what some of us would even see as failures in our life. And he takes those worst things and he does things with them that only he can do. And those scars become the very things that God uses to show other people just how amazing and how great and how beautiful he is. but it takes some extraordinary things sometimes to show that. Why do these women follow? Luke is a scientist. He puts things not chronologically in order. He puts them in ways they make sense. I think there very well may be a connection between these women who trust in Jesus and this woman who trusts in Jesus and is not rejected by Jesus. It's just interesting, the story comes right after this, doesn't it? A woman comes to Jesus, she's got no place else to go, and he shows her love, and he forgives her, and a bunch of women follow Jesus. He uses our story, but she sometimes got to do something extraordinary. There was a guy in our church, had a bunch of grandkids, his name was Don Green, and Don died, and the grandkids called me and said, hey, Pastor Randy, um, we want you to sing a song at our grandpa's funeral. And I said, well, you know, I'm not the music minister. And they said, yeah, but nobody else will sing this song. <laughs> and I said, sure, I should have asked. But I said, sure. I said, what is it? They said, it's a Cat Stevens song. And I said, am I gonna sing Peace Train at a funeral? They said, no, it's morning has broken. You know that song? Morning has broken. Okay, that's all I know of it now. But 
I said, yeah, I, I don't think I can do that. About an hour later, I think, my friend Mark Messler called me. Mark was chief counsel for the IRS. He's a lawyer. He, he called me. He goes, Randy, I heard you're not gonna sing at the funeral. I said, no, Mark, I'm not gonna sing Cat Stevens at a funeral. He goes, why? I said, Mark, that song is like staccatoed, vibratoed, falsettoed, and a bunch of other owed. It's probably stilettoed for that matter. I said, I said, I would sound absolutely ridiculous singing that song. I said, I can't sing that song. I said, it's like, it, it's like three ranges. I don't even, I got barely one. And he goes, so let me get this straight. These grandkids called you and wanted you to sing in a funeral, and you're not going to do it because you'd look bad. I said, you're a good attorney. <laughs> I said, that's exactly right. He goes, I think you ought to think about it. I said, okay, I'll do it. He really is a good attorney, isn't he? So I got up there, and I sang Morning Has Broken, and it was a train wreck. And, like, I couldn't get anybody else to play the piano. It was just me and my guitar singing Cat Stevens' Morning Has Broken, and it was a total train wreck. And, and all those kids came up to me, and, and Don's kids came up to me. Denise, you remember this. And Don's kids came up to me, and they were all crying, and they said, that was amazing. It sounded just like him. I said, I said, I sounded like Cat Stevens. They said, no, you sound like our grandpa. He so butchered that song. <laughs> God uses those things in our life when we're willing to do the extraordinary. Doing the extraordinary doesn't mean we do it extraordinary. I love Buddy used to say, Whatever's worth doing is worth doing really bad for a long time till you figure out. You want me to do it in his voice? No, I'm not going to. All right. Worship team, you guys come on up here. This is the extraordinary act of worship. When you know that there's no other place to go but Jesus. And he's the answer and he's the only answer. He's the only hope. Or you can live the more honest version of that old song, I Surrender All. You guys know that song? Yeah. Maybe we should sing it more honestly. One-tenth to Jesus, I surrender. Or maybe more honestly. Two and a half percent, I surrender. I'm not talking about money here. Two percent, I freely give. Sometime next week, I'll love and trust him. And for a few minutes, in his presence, I'll daily live. I surrender a little bit. I surrender not very much. Not very much to thee. My blessed Savior. Or we can live extraordinary. Here. Here. I look around this room and I see some of you guys and I see you and I see the things you've walked through and the extraordinary ways in which you've held on to your faith in the midst of those hardest moments. Paul, Steve, and people see 
and they see your stories. Deb? And they see your stories and they see your faithfulness in it. And this is what I just wanna encourage you to do, church. Know how to tell your story. We have a culture, we have a generation of kids growing up today that are deconstructing their faith. What they can't deconstruct is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that doesn't mean we scream at them. And it doesn't mean we yell at them. You have to get close enough and take enough time that they can hear your story. And that's an extraordinary act, by the way. So Jesus, we pray this morning. We pray for brothers and sisters in the Ukraine today. Lord, I know it, it's, I know it's probably not, like, I don't know how you speak to someone who's not listening to you. But somewhere around Vladimir Putin's life, I believe there's someone who loves you. And Lord, I, I know how wars usually work, and most of the time wars end when the bully meets somebody stronger that's not afraid to stand up to him. That's usually how it works. But God, if you could do something extraordinary, we would pray that in Jesus' name today. And Lord, if that's not how it works, I just pray protection over those people. I pray for Christians today who it's, it's Sunday night there and they are there and they're huddled in bomb shelters and in apartments and, and they just care about their families. Lord, we pray for protection. And we know what your word says. There will always be wars and rumors of wars and this world is not gonna get better on its own, but that doesn't mean that your people will not in the midst of that brokenness tell our stories do extraordinary things, step out of our fears and our anger and our hostility and our sin and our brokenness and be used by you in extraordinary ways. And I don't know what that looks like for everybody in this room, and I'm just kind of figuring it out for me. But do that, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. I'm Myrna Brown.